Hello to all you survivors out there in the wasteland. We're transmitting from our hermetically sealed bunker beneath the nation's capital, and thank you for joining us on whatever scavenged receiver you've got going today. I'm Evan May, author of King in Darkness and Bonhomme Satel. And I'm Brandon Crilly, Ottawa-based author of science fiction and fantasy. Our cozy little bunker is keeping us safe from the world outside, but we also have a lot of time on our hands as we wait for the ancient curse that is bringing doom to us all to hopefully be lifted. So we've decided to pass the time by sharing stories. Instead of a campfire, we have the glow of eldritch magics at work, and instead of the wind in the trees, we have the heavy footfalls of an army of mummies. We'll be talking about the stories we love from the world of science fiction, fantasy, and horror, as well as the tales that come from the creation of stories and the creation of art in general. Today we've invited two of our fellow survivors to share their own ideas, experiences, and interests with us. Here's who will be joining us in the bunker today. So I'm Kate Hartfield. I am a science fiction and fantasy writer in Ottawa. And one thing that people might not know about me is that I've taken a lot of training to be a yoga teacher. I'm Rich Larson. I'm an Ottawa-based science fiction and fantasy author. I wrote the Violet Wars trilogy and Tomorrow Factory. And one thing people might not know about me until they talk to me for like five minutes is that I love dancing kizomba. We're both really looking forward to our conversation today and just as excited that we get to share it with you. Gather around survivors and welcome to another broadcast from the Wasteland. Stereotypical argument though about Aquaman. It's like, oh, he talks to fish. What a fucking loser. Like, I mean, I've heard that since I was a kid. It's stereotypical because it's true. Yeah. I mean, you can't make Aquaman cool. Even when you cast Jason Momoa, he's yeah. still not cool. There's that. There's one animated version. I can't remember who does it. And the voice, like, it's almost like they lean into that. Like, Aquaman is very, like, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm here to save the day. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, the brave yeah. and the bold one. Yeah, it's very, it's very yes. like okay. Yeah, Aquaman is very uncool. Yeah, but we're gonna try really, really, really hard. Yeah, because I remember in the '90s they tried to like reboot Aquaman as like kind of gritty. He got a hook for a hand. Oh, that's <laughs> long hair. And, yeah, no, he's still Aquaman. This oh. doesn't, this doesn't work, man. What, he got a hook for a hand. Yeah, yeah. So he's the killer from, was it I Know What You Did Last Summer? I mean, basically they were trying to make Aquaman into a pirate, and, uh, <laughs> and then this, would be, this would be cool. And like, no, he's still not cool. He's still Aquaman. Uh, so you're saying there's nothing you can do to Aquaman to make him cool? I, I can't conceive of anything. <laughs> right. I mean, I'll go along with that, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to be corrected, but mm. I mean, he's, he's almost like the polar opposite of, like, like it's, it's really hard to make a character like, like Batman not cool. That's true. I don't know. I mean, okay, I can't think of a way to make that. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be a way, though. Even even in the stuff that kind of mocks him, it's still, like, you still love him. Like, you still, like, yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I because, he, he, I mean, his superpower is money. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being, yeah. being a rich white guy. He's <laughs> being broody. Yeah. Unfortunately, a, yeah. really, a really powerful superpower. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that should be really easy to unpack, I would mm-hmm. th- or to unravel, I would think, is just mm-hmm. the fact that he, you know, rich white dude who beats up homeless people basically yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's true 
That's, no, it's a terrible image. No, he's a terrible superhero. But, yeah. But he's cool. He is cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's cool. He's got the batterings. Yeah. yeah like, you want to get into, like, what does that say about our society that we know all the terrible things that Batman represents, but we still love him? Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. I like the, like, the Lego Batman. Yes. You know, like it's because it just sort of it takes the piss out of him, but you're st- <laughs> but you're still kind of rooting for him anyway. Like it's like you know, like oh, this guy is so annoying. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It's like that one friend is really annoying, and you're just like, it's okay anyway. Yeah, yeah you just accept it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I wonder because we did this panel at CanCon. Um, all your genre faves are actually the worst, mm-hmm. and it was it was focusing on um, like specific characters that, like, say, in the '80s and '90s were phenomenal. We still love them to death, um, but. If you were to like present that character fresh today, there's no way in hell that they would ever be accepted. It's like and Will Riker was the one that kept coming out, so right? Like, yeah. Like, I wonder where Batman fits in that. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you were to propose Batman as a superhero today, and no one had ever heard of Batman before, yeah, is will society go yay, or will society go? Eh. I think the rich white guy thing would be a hard, right? a hard sell. I, I think, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe the concept is so fundamentally cool. Maybe. I think it probably depends on who you are. Like, when my mom was here last, you know, she just, out of nowhere, we were talking about something, and she just said something about, like, oh, oh, that Elon Musk is so cool. He's, you know, he's going to save the world. And I was just like, like, clearly we move in different circles. I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, so, so maybe for my mom, like, the rich white guy thing has not completely evaporated. Like, maybe that's still... Maybe it just depends on how cynical you are and what generation you're in and stuff. What's that TV show Arrow? Isn't that about a rich white superhero? I think so. I haven't seen it. Yeah, Arrow is basically Batman with the serial numbers filed off because they weren't allowed to make a Batman show. So, Mm. yeah, the way way they've done Arrow, he's basically Batman. Mm. Do people like him? Uh, I mean, the show is into season seven, so I guess, yeah. That's, yeah, or at least he's making money. Yeah. Yeah. How much is that, like, when you guys are working on stuff? How much does that enter um, enter your mind of like how is this character that I created how are they going to be received how like it, it, like how much do you worry about that when you're creating a character or creating a a story or a novel or what have you I I think about it a bit but then I consciously push back against thinking about it like especially okay. with women because like the whole thing about having a likable female protagonist is kind of fraught right so hmm. um, like often my female characters are not terribly likable. And I'll be like, yeah, but I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think it's important to write non-likable female characters, and uh, in particular. Um, so I, I think it may it might hurt their marketability somewhat, but I, I think it's more it's one of those things that's more the kind of thing that editors and agents worry about more than readers. So if you can actually get to the point where it's published, then I don't think the readers are going to actually okay. care. But I think that's something that people in the industry worry about. Like, oh, you don't have a likable character. Right, okay. You think about how many unlikable dude characters there are. Oh, yeah. You know, so... (laughs) so, Anyway, that's my theory. Yeah, I feel like standards are always shifting, too. So no matter what you write, like, you can't try to please everybody because Mm. history might judge you super harshly anyways. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, I might have all these non-vegan characters and people just won't be able to, like... (laughs) You yeah, know, get over that, and they won't be able to empathize because they're eating fucking meat, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Like I, when I read The Shining, I reread The Shining um, for the first time in years, you know, and I'd read it when I was a teenager and stuff. And the thing, like, you know, I was like, all the stuff that's supposed to be scary in that book was not scary to me anymore. Mm-hmm. But like, 
70s parenthood was terrifying. <laughs> I was like, like you're leaving your five-year-old in the car? What are you doing? You know? fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Like, so, you know, there's no seatbelts. It's just... So like that's an example. It's like I was so distracted by like how their their cultural norms about parenthood were so different from my own that it was like yeah. Even though and that character's not really supposed to be like well, but he's supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to be at least you're supposed to kind of empathize with him. And I just never did the whole time because he was just this drunk asshole who like was not a very good parent. And, and I was like, <laughs> I don't really care if you become part of the hotel at this point. So, take, please take just yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Find these kids somebody better. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. I don't know. Yeah, so it is kind of a moving target, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to agree with Rich that I think uh, I, I want to write the character that I want to write. And mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully, what, what I hope is that people, there will be an audience and that there will be people who will like whatever character I'm creating. And there will be people who won't. I don't think you can ever create a character that everyone will like, not even Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone likes Batman. Everyone likes Batman. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so. I, I, I try to think what is what does it either make sense for this character to be like or as, as kind of crazy as it sounds what is this character kind of telling me they're like and then mm. you're kind of hoping that there's an audience for them yeah that does sound crazy to anyone who isn't a creator of like what is this what is this character telling me like, mm. th- does that happen for either of you that, like I, I sometimes find my characters it what, what it feels like to me is that my characters are telling me about themselves um, it feels external uh, mm. which sounds deeply insane does that happen to, for either of you when you're creating characters no you're, you're crazy, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I this, this, this is where we reveal that this is actually an intervention okay. yeah <laughs> I've heard other writers talk about that and I don't I don't think I have it very much I would like that I would like if my characters would tell me about them because I spend a lot of time kind of hmm. with false starts with characters like I try to get them and then I you know have to rewrite the first chapter yeah for me I don't know I don't really have that external experience with writing characters Um, but there are definitely some characters that are easier to get into than others in terms of voice and so sometimes it's just kind of like a little nudge and all of a sudden like it's really easy to write their dialogue and know like what they would be doing so even if it's not like someone telling me sometimes it is very effortless cool are there any particular characters of yours that were super easy to... Uh, whenever I write someone who's pretty much just like <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. How many yous are there in, in, in the 250 stories that you have out, Rich? Um, any like angsty young man. It's really easy. I okay. just give her. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I find like the real... Um, the parts that would be played by the character actors in the movies like the secondary characters who are just kind of a little bit out there i find those really easy to write because you can just just go with it you know whereas the main characters sometimes have to be a little bit more nuanced so they can be harder yeah because sometimes those like one note characters are the funnest yeah most memorable yeah definitely in film and television for sure yeah yeah when you just have someone who like steals one scene yeah and then you're like oh i could do that yeah exactly (laughs) yeah like the mustache twirling villain kind of character Mm. or something like it's just really fun to write yeah Mm -hmm. yeah the thing that i just finished it's like an art heist and it has a really like affectionate and homicidal gangster <laughs> yeah that always shows up in movies and is like doing the you know like interrogating someone and being like man i love you <laughs> i'm gonna cut your arms off yeah. 
And those are really fun to write. And so it's not like a nuanced or deep character, but it's just like... And how much is, just a curiosity, how much does that character line up with who you are as a person? <laughs> <laughs> the the door's thing. locked. <laughs> <laughs> this is all on tape, right? Like, right yeah. the, okay, just, just do quick. Are we recording? Is yeah, we, yeah, we started recording before, oh, uh, before you guys <laughs> sat down. I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> Plausible deniability. We should have sounded smarter. Yeah, so don't think of it, we're just right. hanging out. Don't think Good. of it like we're recording. We're just hanging out and talking about the fact that Rich is secretly a homicide. <laughs> That's all that's going on. <laughs> Not a secret anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody's going li- to Eight people are going to listen to this. So you're fine. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. Well, then Derek walked it back to five. Okay. <laughs> five dates. Sure. Yeah, five dates. Like Derek was cynic. providing yeah. three people, and then you just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're out. Okay, I have to ask you this. And I, um, and I don't know if I've asked you this before, Rich. Because I lost track. How many st- published stories do you have? It's like over a hundred. Okay, how the fuck is that possible? Uh, and, I, and I say that with, with all the love and adoration that I like. In all seriousness, like, like it's just like time. Because how is that? I don't understand the the like. Are you a time lord? I, I... I've been writing like really steadily since twenty eleven. I guess. Okay, that's when I started. I don't know, about, like, and I've been producing around like twenty stories a year. Jesus. Wow. Yeah, and most of them sell. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you ever get like, like? Like I realize how that question comes across, and it comes from a place of just like like it amazes me that much productivity. And like, do you ever have people coming up to being like, "How can I do what you do?" And like, like I want to be you, Rich Larson. You like, just gotta have like no hobbies <laughs> <laughs> or family or you know house, car, any of that. Just yeah. okay, you're painting a slightly depressing. <laughs> No, uh, honestly, the secret is just having, like, tons of ideas, sufficient free time, and doing the actual, like, physical act of writing pretty quickly. Like, I just write fast, and I'm not an editor. Like, I don't really edit things. I'll read it, like, once, and then I'll send it out. Interesting. And that's out there. Okay. Yeah. If I try to do drafts of stuff... I usually end up like not liking it and going back to what I wrote the first time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I'm not good with drafts. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, that's one of the like most received pieces of wisdom when people are talking about writing is that you're going to write your first draft of anything and you'll keep almost none of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to suck. What people say, oh, your yeah. first draft is terrible. You'll, you'll yeah. throw it all away. Uh, I think I think it's Ray Bradbury who says the first draft is just you telling yourself the story and mm-hmm. oh, throw yeah. it all out. So yeah, this fits with my larger my larger theory that there are no rules for writing. Right. Definitely. That always apply. Okay. Yeah, I think everybody's different. Yeah, and I think I think part of it is like learning what kind of writer you tend to be, and then hacking your own process, right? And like mm. and and working with your strengths, and then also. Like recognizing where your weaknesses are, that's part of it. Like for me, like I had to learn to rewrite because I I suck if I don't rewrite. So mm-hmm. right. you know that's now I know that's how my process is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people also have different conceptions of like what editing is because okay. it might be like it might be disingenuous for me to say that I don't edit because as I am writing, like every sentence before the one I'm currently writing is fair game. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so I'm not I don't like write a sentence and it's like okay well can't touch that until I'm done the whole thing. Right away. Right. So every day as I'm writing, I'm like reading every sentence I write, I like read the sentence before it. And as I write it's constantly changing. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's more that like you don't you don't finish a draft and then go back. So you so you edit, you're just doing it the whole time. 
Yeah, it's like a constant process. Okay. Yeah. And is that, have, have you always written that way or did you figure that out later? I, I think I've always done that okay. where like every day when I open it up, like I read everything that I wrote before on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, do you guys do that when you have a story? Like every time you open it up, you read the whole thing through? Not with novels. I usually do with, with pretty short stories. Mm-hmm. I will. Yeah. Yeah. I will if, it depends, yeah, it depends on the length. Like mm-hmm. if I'm writing like a, like a 1500 word story and then I stop halfway through, then yeah, I'll go back and, especially if it's been a few days since I've looked at it, I'll go back to make sure I'm, I remember everything that I wrote because I won't always remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with a novel I, like, um, or a novella or anything that length, I'm, I'll go back maybe like, like a page or two mm-hmm. and then, yeah, but, but I don't go back and go through the whole thing. Yeah, for me, if it's something really long, then I'm usually, like, working on it constantly, so it's all kind of in my head, but um, if I do, like, leave it for a while, then I'll have to, like, read the whole thing Mm. from the very start, and then work from where I left off. Right, okay. Mm. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's always, it's always different, I find, and I find, like, the more I get to know how I work, like, the more comfortable I am just be doing the work the way that it needs to be done, if that makes, that sounds very... Tautological, but <laughs> don't yeah. worry. I'm, don't, I'm sure everybody's going to listen to this and understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, you know, like this, the novel I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm in first draft, and I feel like I, like I, I want a sort of complete ch- chunk of about nine chapters. At the beginning, I, like I need to get the foundation of that kind of set in my mind before right, I move okay. on, and. Um, and I feel like I like those nine chapters. I've had to work on it in bits and pieces because I've had other deadlines and stuff. So I've had to put it aside, put it aside. Right. And I feel like I'm almost painting it. Like I feel like I go in and put a dab here, mm-hmm. or I put a shadow over here. And I, I have that whole picture of what those nine chapters look like in my head. But I kind of have to fill it in in a very nonlinear way. And I've rewritten it a bunch of times now. And I know that I can do that because that I know I'm not the kind of person that will do that ad infinitum like I know that I will right. I will carry on and I will finish the damn thing so yeah. I can let myself do that whereas I think if I was if a beginning writer came to me and said should I write that yeah. way I'd be like no no <laughs> you know yeah. keep going yeah. get to the end because you know a lot of writers have trouble getting to the end but I know that I don't have that so I can kind of take my time and make this like the foundation of the novel the way that I want it to be mm-hmm. and then the rest of it I'll have to rewrite fewer times one hopes mm-hmm. maybe Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Famous last words. Yeah, but, yeah. Next thing you know, five years from now. Uh, yeah, seriously. Yeah, no, because that's, yeah, that's the concern we hear all the time is, like, to basically, to basically not do what Rich does. Sorry. But, yeah. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> just because, because cause there's that danger, right? Of, yeah. like, if, if you're constantly going back, you're never going to get to the end. And I hear that from so many different people. And I think and I think that's partly why I developed my process, which is, like, even, like, say, the novella I'm working on right now, I've gotten three quarters of the way through having developed ideas through like into the second half I know what needs to change in my first few scenes but I'm not touching it yet mm-hmm. so I'll go back and do it like I can, I can keep that in my head or I scribble a note or whatever and then I just go back and, and assume that I've done it and, and yeah. write it as though it's changed yeah. um, and it's because of that concern that if I if I go back I'm just gonna mm-hmm. you know I'm never gonna finish this thing and it's gonna be a year from now and I'll be beating my head against the desk and I'll have changed it five times and it'll be mm-hmm. a totally different story and I'll just be miserable and a hack like I know I am <laughs> Yeah, that kind of came out. (laughs) No, it's true. I think, and that's that's why, like, I think, yeah, I don't know. I I think Evan's right that there is no process that works for everybody and it doesn't for every book, right? So you just just do the thing. But if anyone's kind of at the beginning of learning their process, I would say, like, the safest way is just Mm. to try to write your way through it 
you know, and get a draft and then and then find out what needs to be fixed. But that might not work for everyone. So mm. you never know. Mm-hmm. We should have a podcast that's just like bad advice. Like bad all, advice. All, the things, <laughs> all the things we do that no one should ever do. <laughs> what would that be? Like if we were to do that, what what are the things that either of you do that you would say nobody should ever, ever, ever do? Uh yeah, that, well, this thing that I've been doing, yeah, like saying, okay, I want to have nine chapters that are good before I go on is probably, I only, I, yeah, I just, I, I know myself that I like to have the first act in the novel solid, um, but yeah, I wouldn't advise anyone to do that. I would not advise people to like write novel trilogies without planning them out in advance. Okay. Oh God, <laughs> yes. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I just did was, like, turn one novel into three. I would not advise anyone to do that. It was painful. Basically, just don't write. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's a joy. It's a joyful process. It's all good. So even though you wouldn't advise doing it, what led you to decide that you needed to turn your one novel into three novels? Um, I actually had an editor suggest it, and so... um, uh, But it's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have done unless I agreed with it. And so it was one of those, those uh, a bit of feedback that, um, you know, it, it hits you and, and like, you never would have had the guts to do it on your own. Um, but when someone with some authority says, I think it would work better this way, then um, it's, you're more receptive to it, you know? And at first I actually, I was like, no way, I'm not, I'm not turning this novel into three novels and, you know, thanks, but you know, I, I have other things to do. And then, uh, and then I was started working on some other revisions on it and I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> this would be a lot better as three novels. So sometimes you just have to, you know, know when to be stubborn and then also know when someone's right and if the thing's going to be better. But it was it was a really difficult process and it was uh, it was extremely painful, like a lot more painful than writing a new trilogy from scratch would have been. Um, so sometimes you just get at things a bad way. And that, that still hasn't sold yet, but it, it might. So who knows? Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask which, like, which one it is that's become a trilogy but it's not something it's not something that's out yet yeah so it's still uh it's still in that part of the process where my agent and i are Mm. gonna take it out and we'll see um but yeah so i probably shouldn't talk too much about it but uh, technically you haven't exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly i have a book that's three books that used to be one book yeah yeah so (laughs) like three people in the world know what i'm talking about if they listen to this yeah um, but but stuff like that is just like yeah. I mean sometimes sometimes you get to the end of a process in like a way that you think oh if only I'd known at the beginning like it would have been so much more efficient if I'd just known mm. you know at the beginning how it was going to go and how it was supposed to be. But you can't you can't you don't have a time machine you can't do that. So well you don't have a time machine exactly yeah <laughs> or do I oh, oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the same thing like. Um... With yours, you're talking about annex, I'm guessing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can 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 we get into that? Cause sure. I'd like, okay. I'm not much of a planner, and I never wanted to write like a trilogy. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to have like a standalone novel. But then when they took it, it was on the condition that it become a trilogy. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then the second one was just like winging it, even though I had told myself I'm gonna really plan this out. But instead, mm-hmm. I just wung it. So instead I just wung it and um, I'm telling myself now that I'm going to plan out the third one like really well but uh, it's uh, I think I'm going to think I'm going to wing it have wung it have wung it <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. 
Mm. So winging it is great for short stories, but it's bad for novels. And that's one reason why I much prefer short stories. Mm, okay. Yeah. Mm. So then go for it. Yeah. That's interesting that it, it was, they would only take it if it was going to be a trilogy. Yeah, I think in genre fiction especially, it's like the magic number everyone wants. Mm. A trilogy. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Yeah, I haven't had any pushbacks on uh, standalone so far. Um, but then again, my two standalone novels sold to um, a small-ish publisher, which is Cheezing, and so they're they tend to do things a little bit their own way right, anyway. Yeah. And and but but they certainly didn't push back on them being standalones. But maybe if it had been a big five publisher or something, it would have been yeah, different. Maybe. Yeah, it's hard to say. And, and it probably depends on the kind of book it is too. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's. Um, I forget because it's so that's armed under fashion. Yeah. I forget what uh, the second one. Is, the sec- that, yeah, the yeah. second one is not out yet. It's it's an unrelated standalone book called The Humors of Grub Street, and it's coming out in that's early right. 2020. Right. Um, okay. So yeah, so they bought two from me, but they're not related to each other. Okay. And then I know Alice Payne. Mm-hmm. There's a sequel coming out in March. In March. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot sooner than I thought. Yeah, it's four months after the first one. Nice. Wow. <clears throat> so yeah. that'll, that'll be somewhere around when this is released. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, it might be out. When yeah. Are March 5th, available <laughs> in every format. <laughs> no, but now people know when we recorded this. Yeah. That it was yeah. before that. Yeah. Um, Run and don't walk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to your local book depository. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one I, I had pitched, well, I'd sold it as, um, like, I had written the first one and I wrote it as um, a standalone with the sequel potential ah yes the magic um and uh so yeah and then the editor asked me lee harris at tour.com uh asked me well so you said there's sequel potential and what would that be and so i'm you know (laughs) 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 i wrote a paragraph and i emailed it off to him and and uh he liked it and um yeah and i think i think lee recognized more than i did how non-standalone the first book is as many readers have pointed out since that it, yeah it, just a it, bit <laughs> yeah no offense <laughs> i got to the end of it was like what is it when you already told me there's gonna be a second yeah. one i think if you had to told me that i would have been yeah. fucking pissed yeah definitely it it definitely feels like like there's more coming which was which was a it was a deliberate choice on my part but i didn't think it would feel incomplete as a story i thought it mm. i thought it felt like the end of a circle and and that that was okay but a lot of readers were like well where's the rest so <laughs> anyway so the good news is there is a second book uh yeah and um so calm down yeah yeah so he obviously knew what he was doing i mean you know he's a oh yeah at least for, he's a he brilliant, stuff. brilliant editor so yeah he knew better than yeah. i did yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the that was the only sequel that I've written so far. And again, I had like literally all I had was like this vague notion that it. I had a couple of things that I thought might happen in a sequel that had the sequel potential, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, th- and then I had a paragraph, and then I had to like write it an actual. Sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, it, it was, um, yeah, like all the stuff that like throwaway lines in the first book or whatever that you think okay that has to be an actual thing now or you know you've got to you've got to actually kind of, you know fill it out and and make it make sense and you've kind of laid traps for yourself and yeah so i'm jealous of the writers who like plan out their series in advance and they know like jk rowling apparently had like charts and everything and i don't yeah. have charts yeah but that's jk rowling that's true yeah to hell with her yeah <laughs> But the, I one, I mean, one of the cool things about people who wing it like us to some extent is that there's all that serendipity, right? Because you have those throwaway lines and you're like, okay, that is a thing, you know, like now that, mm. that makes sense and it seems like 
it looks to the reader like you planned all along for That's that true, to happen, yeah. you know? And then I even had like small plot holes in the first book become plot points in the second yeah. book. Exactly, oh, yeah. That's why that didn't make sense yeah. because of this. Yeah, clearly I knew all along. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we're hucksters and charlatans, basically. Exactly. It's all, if it works, it works. I like that. Yeah. So you had a question there, and then I, I lost it because I got fascinated with what you were talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> It'll come back to me. Yeah. Yeah, it was something to do with... It was something to do, oh, no, it was about novellas. Okay. Um, you're writing a novella. Right? Got it. Mm-hmm. I, I am. Because I was talking to uh, Kelly Robson about uh, God's Monsters and Lucky Peach. Yeah, which is excellent. Which is phenomenal mm-hmm. and everybody should go read it. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first time I saw her after I read it, like the first thing I said to her was, please tell me you're writing a fucking sequel of it, or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Well, she, she did the same thing as me, uh, or right. a similar kind of thing. And, yeah. and, and how she explained it to me was that even though I think God's Monsters and Lucky Peach has to be like twice as long as Alice Payne. Or, it's pretty long, like, I it, think, yeah. yeah. It's it's in the maybe 30 or 40,000, whereas yeah, Alice Payne's 28. Yeah, yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. it's different uh, parts of the range. But mm-hmm. her response to me was that, was that it always felt like to her like a short story. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that the ending in God's Monsters, God's Monsters and the Lucky Peach. Um, I think functions the same way as the ending in Alice Payne, which mm-hmm. for a short story, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if I was reading it as a short story, I, I would have had no issue with... Well, I might have had a little yeah. bit of an issue, but it, I've been like, well, whatever, it's a short story. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'm holding a physical book and it feels like a book that, you know, that I'm like... Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how I felt about it, is that I was writing a short story ending to the novella, which was, like, the emotional arcs are complete and um, and and basically... the the. Everyone has set out to do what they were going to do at the beginning, and, and they've changed mm-hmm. in a ways that they had to change to make it all possible, kind of thing. Um, but there's no denouement at all at yeah, the exactly. end of Alice Payne, and I think that's like, there's no signal to the reader that okay, this is the the downward slope now, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a short story thing. So in the second one, I, I sort of deliberately had the chapter at the end where the wrap you know up the wrap up chapter exactly, which sort of it's, just, it's a pacing thing, I think that um, you know. Okay, that you know, because life never ends, right? So I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say, okay, well, things are going to happen still. There's still a landscape on which stories are going to keep happening in this universe, but but you need to signal to the reader in some way that they can stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. So I think the longer a work is, the more readers expect that kind of conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I was thinking is that there's there's a disconnect between, say, I think a reader's understanding of what a novella or a novelette is and what we as writers or, or editors understand a novella or novel to be. Yeah, it's really interesting to me that, that especially now that it's sort of coming back into yeah. fashion, like how reviewers react to them, how readers react to them. Yeah, totally. Uh, if you package them, like if I'd sold it to F and SF, it, it's a magazine novella instead of a book novella, would it be a different, yeah. you know, like it, are, are the reader's expectations different because it's in, in book form, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's exactly. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a theory. That and, and I've gone back and forth with, with our mutual friend Derek Kunskin about this, that the readers who are reading FNSF and Asimov and Analog and whatnot are totally separate from the readers who go into chapters and pick up a book. Mm. And he disagrees with me, mm. I think. Well, sometimes they're the same people. You know, I mean, like, you know, people in this room. I mean, yeah, but I, we don't count. I'm talking yeah. about your average everyday reader who doesn't, you know, doesn't know any writers, has never mm-hmm. met any writers, is never going to be any writers aside from going to like a con or something in, or a book launch. Yeah. I, I think I think it's two very different audiences, mm-hmm. like the like the critic audience and, or the short fiction audience and the novel audience. I think are yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think there's something. Sorry, I feel like I've been talking a lot, but I'll 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 say one more thing and then I'll shut up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> It's less effective if the guests are quiet. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, true, that's that. true. Um Don't worry, I'll, I'll focus my attention back on Rich in a few. I minutes. mean, one one thing that I've noticed, like from a, a marketing standpoint, is that when you're writing a short story, being unusual is 
is sort of an unadulterated good. Like, if you can write something unusual that works, then Mm. it's good. Editors will like it. With books, being unusual is kind of a double-edged sword because you might find the readers that have been wanting that thing forever, but you have to convince an editor that they're going to want this thing that they've never had before, right? Mm. Um, So, you know, the marketing aspect of it, like selling, selling a short story to an editor is different from selling a novel to an editor, in my experience. But I don't know if that means that they're different readers... And I think there's a whole other category, too, which is self-pub readers, which I think is, oh, yeah, totally. is a totally different category again, but they could be overlapping in the Venn diagram. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always felt like the short story audience and the novel audience is pretty, like, separate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people who read short genre fiction also read novels, but the vast majority of the people who read novels mm-hmm. have no idea what's going on in mm-hmm. short fiction. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like what you were saying about being more free to experiment in short fiction and Mm -hmm. not like scaring off editors. Mm -hmm. And also I found that when I was trying to sell a book, it was like starting at the bottom again. Mm -hmm. Like nobody Mm -hmm. gave a shit that I had sold a bunch of short stories. Like Mm -hmm. no one cared about that when Mm -hmm. I was trying to get an agent. Yeah. It was like a totally different world. And so it's not like, I think maybe a lot of people have this idea that you build up cred through short yeah. fiction but I honestly think more you build up connections I don't think it's mm. like I don't think it's like people are watching your ascension through the short story rungs and being like yeah we're gonna get this guy's novel mm. I don't think it's like that okay. I think with rare rare exceptions like maybe Ken Liu <clears throat> you know but even then I think it's maybe a group of like 30 people who mm. were interested because they were fans of his short fiction and were like oh we've been waiting for a novel you know yeah but I don't, I don't think the wider world like the audience that walks into chapters and sees a book on the bookshelf is going to be like oh Ken Liu I've been following a short fiction yeah right? like I think there would be some people who were but um, yeah by, the, by and large I think it's a different audience for mm. sure yeah which can be kind of scary because yeah you kind of it doesn't feel like you're climbing a ladder it feels like yeah so that's funny because that's how it was explained to me when I first got into like the community here and, and was meeting people like yourselves and like Derek and it, it was that's how it was the basically the path was explained to me as write a bunch of short stories get them into places like Asimov's and Clark's World or whatever mm-hmm. and then you'll land a book deal and mm-hmm. it was like perfect I can do that mm-hmm. maybe um, and yeah but I, I think you're right that it, it's a very different sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I'd be curious to see how many people have actually like followed that path yeah. and if you talk to them they would think that it's actually like sequential. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like I look at like like anybody that I think of in in, in our industry who is who's, you know is widely successful in short fiction like, like both of mm-hmm. you are like I can think of more people who are widely su- successful in short fiction and don't have any novels mm-hmm. and maybe I have never planned on writing a novel than than anybody who is 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 following that progression like I think of say AC Weiss mm-hmm. or Brandon O'Brien. Yeah, I think it's hard to do both. Um, well, and that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. So unless you're rich, and you have to... <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be our running gag the whole time. Yeah, unless you're rich, yeah. it's like, yeah. I think I think people tend to, you know, um, like I've heard Neil Clark complain that he'll often have writers that he loves, and then they they start writing novels, and he never hears from them again. You know, mm. the, the editor of Clark's World. Um, See, I don't mind that because then that's space for <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, which it is good in a way, I think too, because the short fiction community can get very kind of um, you know ossified after a while. Yeah. You have the same names appearing over and over again. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I just yeah. like the idea though that people graduate to long form, mm-hmm. yeah, as yeah. if like you have to cut your teeth doing short stories and then you get to like 
do something really like good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, because that minimizes what it like a short story yeah. as a form, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is like some of the best stories I've ever read are short stories or flash fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Like I keep coming back to, and I I, I can't remember the freaking title of it. But there was one you had in daily science fiction where it's um, like a woman ascends to what feels like heaven, um, but there's no music there. There's a guy. No, <laughs> no see, you've written some fucking bunch. You can't remember the goddamn yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. All right, never mind that. <laughs> but anyway, but I keep it back in my head of, of just it's this phenomenally tight written story that apparently had more of an impact on me than it did on you. Oh, uh, safe space. I yeah, that's yeah, say, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And, and it, it's maybe like seven hundred words or something, and it, mm. it's a phenomenal story. It's very tightly written, and it's got a beginning, middle, and end in the whole shebang. Um, so yeah, so I'm totally with you that you can't like you shouldn't minimize that form as something in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, it's, it's, I think it's less about kind of graduating and more about, um, you know, uh, for writers who want to make a career of it, it's, it's Mm -hmm. easy, it's, it's yeah, it's financial, you know, I think you can, if you, again, if you're rich, (laughs) you know, you you can, you know, I think Kat Valenti tried for like a year to make minimum wage at short stories and she barely did it, but she's extremely talented and, you know, so I think you can, you can yeah, make a living. Be a lot of short stories. Uh, and imagine. all of her rates, right? So yeah. like, I, I think you can make a living at short fiction if you're good um, and dedicated. And on the flip side too, novels are certainly not a living for most of us anyway, but, but yeah. the path to a living is there in novels in a way that it tends not to be in short fiction. Right, yeah, yeah. At least you can sort of think, okay, well, I could, I could do this and it could be a significant part of my working life in a way that short fiction can't be, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of of the mind right now that novels are not necessarily the best way to like make a living through mm. fiction. Mm. The best way is by uh, selling film or TV oh, rights. Right, fair that's but that's kind of like the lotto. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. way I look at it is that every time I publish like a short story, mm-hmm. it's like getting a ticket. Oh, because interesting. I honestly feel like short stories and novelettes and novellas actually lend themselves much better to people mm-hmm. who are hunting IP mm-hmm. because you take something small and you can grow it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, anytime someone wants to adapt a novel, well, it has to be like a super popular novel for right. one thing, and then they have to laboriously like chop it down. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think if you're trying to sell ideas, I personally would rather write like a fuckload of short stories and have them out there mm-hmm. for someone to potentially see okay. than try to go the novel route and try to sell that option. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I like that idea that it's one more ticket in in, in the bowl, mm-hmm. yeah. sort of, sort of idea. That's how I feel about it. And that and that goes back to what you were saying before about that, like being in, like being present in our industry is more about connections than it is about anything else, right? Like I think that's tied to the same thing because presumably going to cons and whatnot and, and seeing people you're interacting with, or maybe your or your agent is out interacting with with people who are looking to buy up properties. Yeah. Um. I think connections are important. Like, I got an agent through connections. Mm -hmm. Like, I did the query slog. Oh, yeah. And I queried so many, so many people. Um, Like, I had a couple novels before Annex that I tried to sell and was never able to sell. Okay, I didn't know that. And then even with Annex, I must have queried, like, at least 20 agents. I had, like, a few full requests and nothing, nothing happened. And I was basically just complaining to a friend of mine, Kit Reed, mm. uh, who has since passed, phenomenal writer, a uh, great person, 
and she was like, oh, well, how about you send it to my agent? (laughs) And I was like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it happened. And Mm -hmm. it was that, that easy. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is, so much of this stuff is like one lucky chance, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but you have to have the stuff out there to make it happen. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm. Um, May I ask, like, talk about film rights, has anyone ever approached you about film rights for any of your 500 stories? Yeah, I've gotten, like, um, the nibbles, which yeah. are kind of... I always imagine that it's just some, like, intern in Hollywood. <laughs> like, hating their job. And like, we really liked your da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> it's a form email, and they just about, replace, like, yeah. werewolf with robot. Yeah. <laughs> basically, they're just checking up to see if it's been bought. So mm. they don't even want to buy it. They just mm. want to see, like, is anyone else interested in it? But, like, I have sold one film option and one TV option. Holy crap, I didn't know that. Both of those, like, within the past year. And cool. so That's very cool. That's mm. why it's easy for me to evangelize about, like, oh, just go out there and get bought. <laughs> <options." laughs> yeah. Get that Hollywood money. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone, everyone at home listening to this is like, fuck! <laughs> Once again, don't do it our way. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Do you think anything will will come of it without without getting in any specifics? I know it's so no, nebulous. This. I think just the option money, but even yeah, okay. the option money, like Hollywood's money, will always be better than novel money, unless you're J.K. Right. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Well, right, and yeah. then you get Hollywood money. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Then you get everything, and yeah. you're a, a yeah. deity among mere mortals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though most projects like never actually get produced, mm-hmm. it's still like much better money than you know selling short stories yeah Mm -hmm. because that way yeah you've got the money so do the shit what they do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's how i feel about it yeah Yeah. which i think is is like if you try to explain that to the the average muggle which is my term for Mm non-writers um they don't understand that like like if you if i were to say if i turn around and say to like say my parents you know oh yeah i I sold the film rights to this this thing but I mean, it's never going to get made. I don't really give a shit. They mm-hmm. look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. Like, no, obviously you want to see your thing come made, in, made into into a movie. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I, I've heard that from so many different people that it's like, oh, whatever, I've got the money. What do I care? Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Let someone else worry about it. Yeah, when I was asked about involvement, I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? It's your baby now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like, like, you have no interest whatsoever in... No, no. It would just be, like, more work for me. Oh, and, fair enough. Yeah, I'd rather they just do whatever they want with it and just mm-hmm. go nuts. Fair enough. Would you ever want, like, let's say hypothetically, well, hey, would you want any of your stuff to be made into film, besides yeah. the fact that money is nice? Money is very um, nice, yeah. And, and if it were, would you want to be involved? I don't think I'd want to be involved. I think I'm I'm open to, I'm open to learning how to do anything, you know, but, um, but it would have to make sense. Like, it would have to make sense that, like, this is how I want to spend my time, um, you know, instead of writing books. And, I, it seems unlikely to me that that would make sense just because I mm. like I am a prose writer I'm not a TV writer I'm not a mm. I don't know anything about screenwriting so right, okay. I don't know I mean somebody could convince me but I think yeah my initial reaction would be no no that's that's your thing and yeah. you know like even just like you look at at Neil Gaiman you know for example mm. who is you know where I would like to be one day, <laughs> one one golden if day. If one person in yeah. Ottawa becomes Neil Gaiman, yeah, someday, seriously, I think he'd be lucky. seriously. <laughs> but like you know, and like he's had he's doing this thing being a showrunner with Good Omens and American Gods. I think he's a showrunner in both, or has been. Oh, I um, definitely for Good Omens. I don't know if he is for American. Yeah, he's oh, had some. In, Omens, yeah, he's yeah. had some involved oh, okay, with American cool. Gods. I'm not sure if he's a showrunner, show but oh, but like I think he has not been. As far as I know, he's he said trouble making time to write in those years because mm-hmm. it's basically like this is what I'm doing now and you know and, and so so carving out the time to write the next novel um, yeah. which is sort of guaranteed to 
to do well. And it's like, yeah. it's not as if nobody wants a novel from him. Obviously, yeah, people yeah, yeah. want a novel from him, but he can't do everything. And so I think, like, that's, you know... Um, like, on the one hand, I think he's been really interesting as an example of someone who, who has done a lot of different things and, you know, has excelled at them. But at the same time, you know, every, everything you do is something that you're not doing as well. There's an opportunity yeah, cost, right? Absolutely. So I think for me, the opportunity cost of learning how to be a screenwriter would be huge uh, in terms of books not written. So right. it would have to be worthwhile. And you've also uh, been writing video games. Uh, I have, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I guess since we've been talking about like the business of, of writing short stories versus novels, I mean, what's your impression of what the business of writing video games is like? Mm. And like, since yeah, everything mm. you do is something not done. What yeah. Like, you did, oh well, I got to do video games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm halfway through my second one for Choice of Games right now. Uh, so it's like you know, text-based interactive fiction, but through a digital app or something like that. The novel that I've been working on that's had like the first nine chapters um, be on my desk for the last six months. The reason it's been on my desk for the last six months is because I've been working on a game. Right. So I'd like to just take a break from games for a while because it's really it's really time consuming. Every scene is just so much bigger, so like takes so much more work to just have a con- have some characters have a conversation than in prose. So it's just because they're doing like the whole tree. Yeah, you have to do a whole tree of branches and everything. So like if you, if somebody walks into the room, it's like okay, I've made this decision to have this character walk into the room. So that's five thousand words that I've got to write now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So it's just like, yeah, everything that happens is you've got to have, like, every every couple hundred words, you've got to have a choice, and then those choices branch necessarily, and even though Choice of Games has a system for kind of keeping it manageable, it can get out of hand really, really quickly. Um, so I like it, and, and one of the reasons I took it, I mean, since we're being all practical and stuff here today, is sure. that it pays better, like, it pays very reliably, and it pays, like, a decent book advance but in installments and reliably um and it's on contract and you oh, know which is, good. which is good it's not on spec which is you know writing fiction that's not on spec for me at my stage in my career is nice yeah um so it's it's been good that way is that it's sort of like a nice cushion where i know i can make money writing fiction um but yeah but it is it is a cost of my time so yeah so i'm, I'm happy that i'm doing a second game but i think after this it's going to be i'll put that aside for a little while because i I need to write some books. Right. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Didn't you say that after the first one? I did say that after the first one. <laughs> I feel like we've had this conversation. They're very weird. All the choice of games, like, there's a lot of choice of games writers that I know. Like, we, there's a community of us, people uh, in the Canadian speculative fiction community write for choice of games. Mm. And we all, we're all the same. We're all like, never again, man. Never, <laughs> never again am I going to do this. Because it ta- just because it takes so much work. It's so much time. And then you finish it, and you're like, but the next one, yeah, you know, and you get, like, you get it's so addictive because you're like, okay, well now I understand how it works, right? So now the next one I'm going to make so much better, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 very, uh, yeah, it's like this tension of you, it's addictive work and it's really interesting work, but at the same time it's just so consuming. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I remember I think I can't remember if I heard about choice of games from you first or from somebody else, but I remember looking at it and going, that sounds like a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And then and then between you and and um, other people, I saw like all the like, the, like coming up with those different choices and all the, like, mm. doing the coding and I'm like yeah fuck that yeah, <laughs> yeah. never nope not going anywhere near that with a, with a 10 foot pole yeah. that said um, if this is totally my bucket list um, if I were ever to be approached or, or if you know whatever future agent I end up with um, would want would you know try to push me towards this if I could do like what Bob Salvatore did for Kingdoms of Amalur and write like mm. dialogue and, and stuff for like a mm-hmm. uh, an Xbox game or something mm-hmm. done I don't care if it takes me a year I don't care if it takes me two years I am so in for that you have no idea just because yeah. that's so cool <laughs> right yeah there's so many th- cool things going on like I, I 
never thought I would be interested in writing interactive fiction at all until my kid um, started playing Minecraft Story Mode, which is a Telltale game. Oh, okay. Um, and I was so amazed because, like, I grew up as a gamer, but I have kind of put it aside just because it's one of those things that you have to prune away to make time to write, you know, and so I, don't, I try not to game too much anymore. Um, but so my impression of what made an interactive narrative game was kind of 15 years out of date and then i saw my kid playing story mode and i was like oh my god (laughs) you know like like these things you can do now with interactive storytelling and even though choice of games is not that flashy like because it is text-based it it made me start to think about interactive storytelling which i had never been interested in in before Mm. Um, so there's really cool things like cool ways to tell stories nowadays what's that magazine that does interactive fiction uh, there's still magazines. There's SubQ. Yeah. SubQ, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, uh-huh. and they're always looking for submissions. Cause, yeah, because so many writers just don't want to do it because it's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's intimidating, mm-hmm. the technical side of it. Yeah. Strange Horizons takes interactive submissions too, but I don't know how many they get. Hmm. Well, in, interactive in what way? Like in the same way as Twisted Games? Or? Like Twine, usually, I think. Is, oh, is, uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I so, Twine. Oh, well, there you go. Because uh, I did, um, when I was at uh, teaching Algonquin College, I was mm-hmm. in the game dev department, and their final assignment was to design a choose your adventure game using Twine. Was, yeah. And I, I knew nothing about it until I taught that course. I was like, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. But I didn't know anybody was doing that in terms of, like, a, a fiction market. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, if Twine is, is the main one, but it's the one that I know of other than ChoiceScript, which is what Choice of Games uses. So, okay. But Twine is... I've, I've messed around with Twine a little bit, but I find it really hard to because like, I don't have any background in coding, and right. it's it's one of those things where if you're really good, Twine looks really good, and yeah. if you suck, then it looks like you're just, you know, it yeah. looks it looks very GeoCities kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a reference that I get. Do you know what GeoCities is? <laughs> Probably <think> so. not. <laughs> yeah. It's like Web 2.1. Yeah, yeah, if <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, if that, yeah. Um, yeah, and it was funny, when I, when, when I threw Twine at my students, like, they were all, it was uh, game development at Algonquin, so they're all coders and, and whatnot. And so I basically said, so the person who used to teach this course would have their students do it on Twine. Here's Twine. Mm-hmm. And then I backed away slowly. <laughs> don't ask me how to fix anything. Don't ask me to edit anything. I have no help to you whatsoever. This is an option. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I highly encourage you to use it because apparently it's great. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so I don't actually understand how Twine works. Oh, yeah. At all. So I was, okay, so, so sub-Q is online then. Yeah. Yeah. I've read some stuff on there and it was yeah. cool. Okay. But also interactive fiction drives me nuts because I'm the kind of person who wants to like get everything out mm-hmm. of it. So I would have to like Just go back <laughs> over and over until I had read like every line of it and oh, then yeah. I could feel like, you know, my mm-hmm. job is done here. <laughs> yeah. If I just do, like, one route through. Like, when I did Choose Your Own Adventure books as a kid, I was yeah. the worst because I would just read it, like, straight through because yeah. I wanted to make sure that I had read everything yeah. and then I would, like, piece it together afterwards. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. Are you a completionist by nature, Rich? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that's why I don't play video games anymore. Oh, because yeah. you'd have to go and do all the side All the achievements. Yeah. Mm. Oh, man. I still remember getting every single achievement in Assassin's Creed 2. Oh, dude. It felt so good. It felt so good. It scratched an itch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. Mm-hmm. Until the next one comes out. Another crazy completionist game from when I was a kid was Donkey Kong 64. Oh, my God. <laughs> You'd have to get all those bananas. Oh, yeah, man. absolutely. And just do the same level over and oh, over again. Wow. And there's that one banana that you can't get. Ooh, yeah, you have to get, like, a special coin first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do either of yeah. you have any idea what we're talking about? 
Ah. Oh yeah, I played. I had a, I had the summer of Donkey Kong. There was oh, a summer really? I was unemployed when I was a student, and and uh, you know I, I was trying to get a job. I really was, but uh, when Where I are you, though? during during my time not having a job, <laughs> I uh, I played a lot of Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved that game. <laughs> that was awesome. Nintendo 64 was the, was the bomb. Like, the first Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, Mario Kart. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the first Mario Party before it became whatever, Mario Party 25. Yeah. Now. yeah. I played, um, the day before Christmas break, uh, my grade 10s brought in their Nintendo Switch mm-hmm. with yeah. whatever the new Super Smash Brothers is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I was like, okay, I have to get in on this. And, but it's this tiny little controller. It's like, like the size of this bizarre looking yeah. flip phone um, which is in front of us that nobody can see yeah. um, and, and so I, it, it was a real learning curve because I'm used to the big chunky sort mm-hmm. but it was so much fun mm-hmm. and I got my ass handed to me yeah I, I kind of have the best of both worlds in a way because I kind of can keep up with what's happening a little bit through my kid but mm-hmm. I'm not playing myself so I kind of like I see I see what games are looking like mm-hmm. um, but I don't delve into it myself because I, I like I'm the kind of person that like I'll play um, Civilization until four in the morning easily. Like wow. if I start a game of Civ, I will be I will be there until dawn, uh, and there's just no two ways about it. So I, I just can't let myself do that, or I won't write basically. Right? Yeah. Um, poor sleep. Yeah. Then. No. No, <laughs> I won't. Like luckily, I can't play first person shooter because I get motion sick. But it's so. All, but the strategy games, the strategy games are my downfall for sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've definitely gotten out of touch with video games. And yeah. then last mm-hmm. summer, I have a friend in Seattle who's really into VR. So oh. they had all It blew my fucking mind. <laughs> like, I had no idea that we had, like, progressed this far. For mm-hmm. me, it was like, wow, I'm in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how good they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The games were like uh, there was like Fruit Ninja, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. there was yeah. like an archery game, mm-hmm. and so uh, is it totally immersive? See, I, I've never done it, so oh, and it's great. Like first, he had this remote to like scan the room and okay. establish, you know, like the game space. I guess so you don't like trip over an ottoman. Exactly. Or mm-hmm. So when you start walking forward, there will be like this red line, and, mm-hmm. and then if you like reach oh. over, it's like oh, bookshelf. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you are like hooked up to this like big thing because the mask has like a cable that leads to his computer or whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you are restricted in that way. Yeah. Uh, but it was really cool. Uh, <laughs> the first thing he did was he like put me on this like mountainside. Okay. And and I like went and like looked over the edge and my stomach was like this is real <laughs> this is real. Yeah, and so I stepped off it, but it was hard. It was hard to step off. Wow. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Technology's getting good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That would not be good for me. I don't, I don't think I'd be able to step off. There was also, like, a robot dog, and you could, like, pick something up and throw it, and the dog would go fetch. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so I immediately threw it over the cliff. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's funny how our sadistic side comes out of video games. Mm. I remember as a kid playing the very first Sims Mm. And and the minute I figured out the cheat code where you could pause it and and pick up like all the random like not your family characters, mm-hmm. I built a room with no door. And, and <sighs> the pizza guy was in there, and, and the mailman was in there just to see what would happen. And sure enough, they would wander around, wander around, wander around. I'm like, he has to die at some point. He's not eating. <laughs> and then he just disappeared, and I was kind of disappointed. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, video games can bring out the worst in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I curse a lot. <laughs> like, like, like more. I know I curse a lot in general, but way more than I do just in a social situation. Like, if I'm playing some sort of first-person shooter online, it is right. awful. Mm-hmm. Like, 
just vitriol that nobody can hear because I'm not on a headset. It's only myself anybody in my immediate vicinity who can hear me cursing a blue streak every time I die. Assassin's Creed was kind of scary because it made me realize, like, pushing people off of buildings <laughs> is, like, the funnest thing ever. Like, it's amazing. And, yeah, later um, I actually, like, went to Italy and I saw these buildings in real life that they had like lovingly reconstructed and I was like oh I remember pushing (laughs) off of that rooftop yeah yeah, good oh, times. Oh, yeah, yeah, good times. You didn't push anybody <laughs> off. Maybe, maybe we won't talk. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Some of his eyes down to the recording device. <laughs> oh, man. So that, may, see, I, that makes me feel better because I sometimes think that, like, as writers, we're all horribly twisted and messed up. But I think an average person would say that. that so that, that kind of makes me feel better about myself is that we're not... Writers just share it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Do we, though? I think we're all very closed off as writers. Uh, I mean, except among through our what we write. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. Okay. That's we're kind point. of invited to like, you know, plumb the the dark places mm-hmm. and then present it to people. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets a kick out of it, but not everyone can um, express it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, why do people love horror so mm-hmm. much? Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And the horror writers that I know are, like, the most well-adjusted people. Yes. They're yeah. all, like, yeah. you know... Yeah, it's funny mm-hmm. how that works. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they found an outlet that not everybody has. Mm-hmm. Some of the nicest, friendliest people I know write, like, mm-hmm. the most disgusting <laughs> yeah. horror. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you consciously plumb those dark places? Yeah, usually what I write is dark. It's definitely, like, yeah. too dark for my grandma. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I don't think that I write really depressing fiction, but most people think that I write depressing fiction because I, mm, I can do like a bittersweet happy ending, mm. but that's kind of like where I top out. <laughs> <laughs> so no like fairy tale endings. Do you think that reflect like, does that reflect your, your, your real world outlook or is that... Uh... I don't think so, because I like when I write it, I'm like, oh, that's that's nice, and then when people read it, they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe I just have like a different target. Starting therapy vouchers for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's another difference between writing novels and short fiction too. Is like, the the amount of feedback that is available to you through mm. novels is so much bigger, and and because they are. Because now you're getting read by people who are not writers or they're not, like, uber fans or whatever mm. to you. So, like, the difference between how you see your fiction and how readers see it is more stark, I find, than with short fiction. Like, with short fiction, you might get a few reviews and you get some feedback from people who like that kind of story. And, but with novels, it's, like, anybody off the street and they'll, they'll have a totally different read on it from what you had. Yeah, um, yeah. You can get really terrible reviews from people who obviously thought they were getting a different book yeah. and exactly. they accidentally bought this book and they're enraged yeah. because <laughs> it's, it's not what they thought it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that happen a lot? Because you guys are both really prolific, so like, how often do you get those sorts of comments coming in and are you able to ignore them? Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm still new enough at books that... Um, like, I'm at the point now where I'm I'm trying, like, one of my New Year's resolutions is to, like, not look at Goodreads yeah. very much. Because, yeah. like, it's bad. It's a uh, bad, bad scene. There's uh, nothing good about looking at Goodreads. I mean, I, like, I'm, I'm using it as a reader myself. Like, I, and I'll try to, like, just track what I'm reading and, and, you know, do the kind of basic 
things to be an author on Goodreads. But right. um, but actually reading the reviews of my work, I'm trying not to do anymore because it's just not helpful. Yeah, it's so bad. I actually blocked Goodreads on my laptop. Mm. Really? Yeah, so I can't go there on my laptop. Now yeah. I go there on my phone. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. So, it's so hard to not do it. it is, for me, anyway. Like it's, yeah. yeah, it's really hard the to resist. The worst is that you have this arbitrary star rating. I know! And it's going like a little bit up, a little yeah. bit down, a oh. little bit up, Oh, yeah, the down. overall. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. worst, it's the worst. Yeah. And then there's like the person who's like... This was a brilliant book. Two stars, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to go, like talk to the person, like, what? Why where are you, are you coming from, this? dude? Like, I mean, like, yeah. it's yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. So it's it's a recipe for like all kinds of brain mm. weasels, basically. I've um, definitely seen those. Like, I don't know if it's just like a finger slip, but a really know. positive review, and then it's like three stars. Yeah, like, <laughs> like who? Can, like, yeah. Oh, no, don't you understand? Like, I need five. Yeah, <laughs> I, need, I need five all the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's, I don't think it's, I don't know, like, to, to a certain point, I don't know, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, the, the, to a certain point it's been useful for me because of things like the ending of Alice Payne Arrives. Like, mm-hmm. if I can get a big sample of readers and I understand, oh, okay, a whole bunch of readers reacted to this differently than I than I did as a writer. Um, like, not in a bad way, it's just like, oh, okay, I can see now, and that's a good learning experience for me, is to understand how readers react to different things, different moving parts in my fiction. Um but is that worth, like, the hours of anxiety that I've wasted because I've read those reviews and, and like, what it's done to me to depress my productivity? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I'll, I'll, like, ration myself and, like, read reviews once every six months or something and, like, spiral into it. <laughs> <laughs> Just set aside, like, one day to one finish day. reviews. Yeah. Yeah, me exactly. and a bottle of whiskey yeah. and good reads. <laughs> 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 and then just watch something really uplifting and positive. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not worth it at all. I don't know. It seems like like the like the more writers get into their career, the more they'll say that it's not. Yeah, they'll worth it. they'll say don't read any mm-hmm. reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do your thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, and yet we're very we're in this culture. Where it's so <laughs> tempting. Yeah. It's it's right there. The it's so it's so easy to do. Yeah. yeah, you can go there every day and see mm-hmm. if you've moved up. Like one like 30 second of a star or not yeah ridiculous. yeah yeah and then you're like oh how many ratings like how many sales is that and like, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so you just yeah. have to shut off your brain i think yeah no, i hear that i think the the one of the last literary short stories of mine was ever published um was like way near the start of my career and um at the time i'd been in a couple of, of spec magazines like i'd been on spec by that point and so my bio you know, identified me as a science fiction writer. Mm. And the only two comments that came in both said, well, okay, now I understand, you know, obviously he's a science fiction writer because this sucked. And I was like, oh, <laughs> man. Never wrote literary fiction ever again. That's uh, like, fuck it. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, that makes me mm. mad. Ruined it. Well, I, mean, I wasn't yeah. anyway, but it yeah, made me still. feel a little... Yeah, yeah. Some of them just come out of nowhere, and they're just like a punch. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, it was a fucking awful short story. <laughs> <laughs> like I can, this is five years ago. I can recognize that now. But at the time, I was so crushed. Yeah, even the ones that are obviously that person's problem. Yeah, it's exactly. still it's hard not it's hard to tell your brain like not oh, to yeah. pay attention. Yeah, yeah, because we just want that constant validation. Yeah, yeah. I should really block it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, um, yeah it, it, you have totally blocked it out of your life. It's just on one device. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you did one of those. Um, AMA things on Reddit, right? Yeah. How was that? Yeah. Uh, It was actually a lot of fun. I was surprised by how many people just, like, popped up out of the internet Mm -hmm. to 
Yeah, to ask questions. That's cool. Yeah, there was one person because there's always one person. <laughs> it was like the first comment, and they're like, "Hard to believe you call yourself a writer when you misuse the da 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 comma." Oh, oh my god! <laughs> but I thought that it was one of my friends. I thought it was because I had just told I had just told my friend like, "Hey, go to go to the AMA, ask me a question." So I thought it was them. So I was just like, "Ha ha!" Yeah, and they just left it. Yeah. But it was actually just a random person. But uh, that's like the perils of just the internet in general. There's mm. always someone mad. Yeah, the internet blows, basically. I'm just waiting for it to kind of blow over this whole internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a fad. It's had its it moment. can't last forever. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say, I'm wait, like, Twitter specifically, I'm waiting to see, like, because Twitter is a very angry place. Oh. Yeah. And I, I figured, no, like, no individual person can stay that angry forever. Like, eventually you, you calm down or you have a heart attack or you, like... Yeah. That, that, that has to be true of Twitter. Right? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me, like, I, I, I'm i doing this thing right now that I do every so often where I offer to write, like, a tweet-length story for I saw, people. I, I replied to that. Yeah, on Twitter, and I, like, I'll write my microfiction on Twitter, and I don't do it very often because it eats up a lot of time, but mm. I enjoy it. And it's interesting to me, like how enthusiastic people are about it. Like, as soon as they say, oh, I'll write some microfiction. And people, like, they'll personally thank me, like, oh, you've, you've made my day, thank you so much for the story, whatever. And I'll always be like, you know that I write books, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's some, there's some part of my brain that's like, I have all these stories that are out there on the internet for free that you could read. And But, but you know, I have to turn that side of my brain off because and recognize that people are responding to the personal connection that I made with them. I said, I will write you a story, you know, random internet yeah. stranger. I will write a story for you. And the fact that it's something, like, and a lot of people will say, well, like to have something nice on this website feels so refreshing, you know, like we're all on the website, like, you know, oh, man, I hate this, you know? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then something along comes, comes along. That's not about the president. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, Oh, it's a refreshing thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's interesting to me because it like, on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the face of it, it's not a valuable thing at all that I'm doing, like yeah. because there's so much fiction that I've written out there that people could just go and find. Yeah, 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 and they not even have to pay for it. Like, exactly, oh, yeah. exactly, yeah. But there's something about it that people find valuable, just seem to find valuable, like just the fact that it's bespoke and it's and, and I'm not expecting anything out of it. It's not mm -hmm. like you yeah. know, go. It's not self promo. It's basically just here you have a story. And it yeah, seems yeah, to yeah. resonate with people. I don't know. So I wonder if, if it resonates specifically because it's you're not doing it as like a gimmick or a promo thing. You're just doing it because you want to. Yeah, I think so. I think people seem to respond to that. But then it's like you know, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll recognize that, and then it will become a self promo thing. You know, oh, like yeah, it, 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 it will be sullied. I don't know, but it's you know, so I don't do it very often. But yeah. um, but I was really inspired by uh, Cassandra Kaw, who does um, who does this kind of thing a lot, and mm. um, yeah, I think like using the internet for good. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's like the One Ring. Maybe it's impossible mm. to to use it for good. But um, I don't know. That's where I'm at at the moment. It was funny. I was, I was going on and seeing people's like end of 2018 and New Year posts, and everybody who was like cataloging, say like you know going through and be like, this is all my stuff that came out in 2018, and, and being like, wow, 2018 was a really good year. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them it was tempered with this. Yeah. You know, I realized that 2018 sucked for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but nobody was like, you know, things are awesome. Here's like there's, there was no excitement about the new year. It was very much like. Uh, mm -hmm. Some stuff was okay, and meanwhile they're listing like all of these accomplishments. Like it was, just, it was a very weird thing that I saw across the entirety of the internet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a hard thing, I think, too. And I think everyone always has mixed feelings about those posts. You know, like I don't, I don't know any writer who who doesn't 
battle weird feelings about okay here's a post of all the things that i did this year or whatever i think i i tend to feel a sense of responsibility to the other people involved with the thing right and that kind of overrides Mm. my own personal shyness about it so i'll always feel like okay well i need to make sure that the book does well and so i don't let down my agent and my editor and the cover designer and the copy editor and the, the proofreader. Oh, interesting. You know? And like the, I, the mail room uh, tour. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, um, I feel like there's, like, especially with books, that there's a kind of responsibility that I have to promote it, you know, not just for myself, but so that everyone else is not, you know, kind of lost their investment of whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, That's a good way to look at it because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people involved in every publication besides mm-hmm. just the author. yeah. And, and with magazines too, like I tend to publish in a lot of magazines that are um, like not among the top, uh, you know, the, the the big five in our field or whatever. Mm. Like I like I publish a lot in Lockingtons, and I always feel like well, mm. Lockingtons needs more attention because they're a great magazine, uh, and they're still fairly new. And so whenever I promote a story in Lockingtons, I always feel like I'm also promoting the magazine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But maybe that's just rationalizing yeah. <laughs> self promotion. But it help, it works for me anyway. No, I mean, that, that to me sounds legit. Mm. Then it's, it's not coming from a place of, you know, I want to boost my ledger. It's coming from a place of let's, you know, mm-hmm. spread this idea and let's spread what other people are doing and keep them in business. And, mm-hmm. you know, if in the back of your mind it's like, let's keep them in business and maybe they'll buy more of my stuff. Yeah. And then maybe I would, I would question yeah. the a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's always some of that. I mean, I think it's, it's like a circular thing because... Like, I want to sell books so that I can write more books, basically. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's like, I would like to write more books, and I can write more books. I have more time to write if I have more money from writing, which means that I have to sell some books. Mm-hmm. I think the nice mindset to approach it with is that it's not like a zero-sum game, where mm-hmm. if someone is reading their stuff, that means they're not reading mine. Right. Mm-hmm. It's nicer to think, like, there's, you know, like, 7 billion potential readers mm-hmm. out there, and I can, like make new readers all the time it's not like there's a limited number of readers yeah yeah Yeah, and it i don't know maybe i'm naive but i feel like uh our particular genre is pretty good at that like at the supporting each other oh yeah i think you know like i hear i hear stories about you know writers being really nasty to each other and and just sort of eating each other and um in in other literary circles but i don't I don't think that that happens, or at least I'm just not seeing it anyway. In no, I, I, I mean, we seem very good about it here. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I, it's it feels very supportive. It feels like yeah. everyone's like, yeah, if you do well, I do well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I've got the same. I mean, I don't know what your guys' experience has been at US cons, but I get the same feeling when I go to like the Nebulas or Confusion or whatever. It, it's I mean, there's obviously like you hang out with the people you know, and mm-hmm. people that's like with any community. But there's yeah. like like the first year that I was at the Nebulas. It was there, there was an inclusiveness like like Mary Robin Cole was like oh how's it going and, and pulled me over to talk to some people and like mm. there there is that mutual support that exists probably like eighty or ninety percent of, of yeah the people there I think yeah definitely yeah. <clears throat> that's yeah. my feeling I mean we have our problems but I think that Obviously. there's in general there's a sort of feeling of uh, uh, that the rising tide lifts all boats or whatever. Nice. <laughs> I didn't make that up. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't giving you credit for that. You should be a writer. <laughs> what a metaphor. <laughs> you sound very grizzled already. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just give me the money. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take long. I, was gonna, I think every author gets that. I mean, again, and this is me looking at a bunch of you know successful authors, but I feel like everyone hits that point. Like, mm-hmm. the, or it seems to be that you hit that point where all of a sudden 
the stuff that really excited you before all of it is like, well, it happens all the time. I think there's diminishing returns yeah. for any kind of reward. Because I remember like the first time I sold a story, that was very exciting. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. it was exciting for like a week. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of like decreases a little bit every time. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the point where you don't sell it and you're like, yeah so do you like does selling a short story still excite you for me not no so much like not the way it used to mm-hmm. definitely not i don't think i even really like text people to tell them i sold stuff anymore oh really? i used to do that like mm-hmm. if i sold the story i would yeah. like text all the people who i wanted to know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah to get that immediate like night swan <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah good job yeah. yeah the first time i sold a story in daily science fiction mm. i think was my first pro sale in like 2013 and yeah and it was like i think i don't know like sometimes i have to tell my spouse because he's not a writer like i have to tell him what the big things are because like nobody yeah. knows yeah. Right? Like, nobody outside of our circles would know that a sale to dsf would be different from a sale to you on spec or yeah. whatever because like mm-hmm. who cares like three cents a word does not matter to ordinary people and no, why exactly. should it yeah. Yeah. um but and so so i was like no it's a pro sale it's a thing like it's a thing like you know trust me this is a, a milestone or whatever and yeah, yeah. so i think he made some kind of you know deal out of it and we had a nice supper or something oh, yeah. and you know but now if i sold a story to dsf like no offense to dsf it's a wonderful market but i probably wouldn't even tell him like I would just be like, you know, like that that's the norm now. Like I should be able to sell to a market that I've sold to six times before. But there's right. lots of markets that I have not sold to. So maybe if I sold to like Clark's World or yeah. Asimov's where I haven't sold, then maybe I'd still I would still text people, I don't know. <laughs> um, do you see yourself stopping at any point? Like aside from just like I'm you know, I'm too old to do this. Um I I don't because I I got to that point a while ago, um, um, like I'm, I'm going to be 42 in a couple of days and, oh, really? um, yeah. Which um, will be like two months from now. By the time yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am 42 now <laughs> and, uh, losing my memory. Um, yeah, it's so I kind of, yeah, so I kind of came to being able to get things published pretty late and I worked for a long time, not getting anything published like a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hit this moment in my mid thirties when, um, I had written like four books, three or four books and I couldn't get any of them published and I couldn't get an agent. And I kind of hit this point where I was like, okay, this is not going to happen. And I was, mm-hmm. I was 100% convinced this is not going to happen for me. Um, and in that knowledge, then do I keep writing or not? And then I, I figured out that I had to keep writing. Like, I just wanted to keep writing. I didn't, I, I tried not writing books and it made me miserable. So I said, okay, I'm just going to keep writing books. So I already know that at least, I don't know, people change though. So I, I don't know who will be in 10 years, but I already know that the reason I'm writing is not because I want to be successful because I, I had already convinced myself that it, it was just not going to happen. But then I obviously had not convinced myself entirely because I just kept sitting up queries and then I got an agent. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. Rich, do you ever think you would stop? No, I don't think so. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. And I wrote for a really long time, like my entire childhood growing Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And it was just for me. Mm Yeah, Yeah. I had no conception of like giving it to other people or selling it or any of that. Um, That world didn't really like become visible to me until i was like in university i think okay mm-hmm. yeah but i had still been just like writing things um so i've been doing it like my entire life 
and even if I couldn't like sell another thing, I would still get ideas and I'd still just want to write them. Mm-hmm. Even if I couldn't like show them to anybody, I would still just be like, oh, that would be cool. And yeah, just, yeah. you know, start mm-hmm. writing it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Evan? Yeah. Um, I think now I, w- I will always be writing something. I did stop writing fiction for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was about, because I'm extremely old. Uh, there was a, a good <laughs> no, you're not. I am extremely There was a good like ten years for sure where I didn't write any fiction at all, and mm-hmm. some of that was I was working on on my my PhD, mm-hmm. so I was doing mm-hmm. academic writing. Yeah, and some of it was um, I just kind of convinced myself that um, that what I was writing like it didn't need to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is Neil Gaiman's fault. And one day I will explain this to him. Uh, <laughs> I had started reading a lot of Neil Gaiman and I was like, wow, these are exactly the kind of stories I want to write. Mm. Um, and so I, I don't need to write anything Neil Gaiman's uh-huh. yeah. He's got uh, it. He's, yeah, got he's, it. he's doing it. So, yeah. you know, but um, after I finished the PhD, I started kind of feeling that, that itch mm. again to start writing. And uh, now that I'm kind of back into it and I've gotten used to, to writing fiction again, I don't, I don't, I don't think at this point... I, I can't see stopping because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm 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 like Rich. I'll I'll keep having ideas, mm-hmm. whether or not there's a market for them, and whether or not anyone else wants to read them. I have I I've got ideas, man. Yeah, and I want to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was the same way when I was in grad school. Like when I did my master's and I and I started in journalism, I didn't write a lot. Like uh, I think I, it's yeah. Like there's probably like you know every every few months I'd write a little something and. Whatever. But, so that was probably the period in my life when I wrote the least in my mid twenties. Because when I was doing the PhD, uh, a big part of it was like I was spending so much of my day sitting in front of a computer, mm-hmm. right, reading something or writing something. Yeah. That the last thing I wanted to do when that when that part of my day was over was I want to sit down in front of the computer some more. Yeah. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, especially yeah. if you're doing something like that is at all adjacent to writing, then it yeah, yeah it makes yeah. you tired. That is harder when you're doing things that are even, like, tangentially related. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that's using your creativity, I almost feel like I only have a certain amount of creativity per day. Mm-hmm. And if I'm using some of it to write, you know, translations, mm-hmm. then I have less of it for mm-hmm. the novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do either of you, uh, you, you've never taught, right? Uh, taught a course or anything, Rich? Uh, I taught ESL. <laughs> okay, okay. So then this applies to everybody. Um, do you find the teaching apply like applies in the same way in terms of like sucking up some of your creative juice for the day? I find it very tiring. I don't. Yeah. It's not really the same. Like I mean, the other the other things that I do to make a living are journalism and editing, and those are definitely closer to fiction. Right, okay. I mean, for obvious reasons. Right. But, uh, than teaching is, but I do find teaching really exhausting. Yeah, yeah. yeah teaching is very tiring for me, not because it, I, I don't think of it using my creativity, but mm-hmm. like I'm naturally a fairly shy person mm-hmm. and I'm fairly introverted. And teaching, obviously, you have to get up and perform, mm-hmm. and so I can do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it, it it drains the batteries a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. that's how I feel. Teaching is kind of like a performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta like. All right. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you gotta be engaging. You gotta be enthusiastic. You gotta be the the person in the room who, who, who's loving the end. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, there's a, there's yeah. a limit to how long I can keep that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I teach, like, 
uh, I only teach one course, a uh, university course, but it's a three-hour course in the evening. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Engage those. Yeah, engage like, <laughs> like 9 o'clock at night, you know, uh, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, so it's, I feel like I'm constantly, like, doing a, a tap dance, you know, to try and, like, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> Are you not engaged? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm also, like, a huge, huge introvert, so it just to go home and, and I don't want to talk to people for yeah, a long yeah. time, so. Yeah, I hear that. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't find that it drains my writing batteries necessarily. Okay. Mm-hmm. I guess it depends how creative you're being with it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Because I do feel like, for me at least, any creative activity kind of like takes away from the other ones. Mm-hmm. And this was really surprising to me when I started getting really into dance. Mm-hmm. I oh, kind of okay. thought cool. that I had found this like perfect dichotomy mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah. you know, my brain will be writing yeah. and my body will be dancing. <laughs> yeah. And it's perfect. Yeah. But it didn't work that way. Really? And I actually found that like dancing because it is a really creative activity, mm-hmm. it was like taking brain space that used to be for writing. And so I would be, like, falling asleep just, like, thinking about dancing. Oh, my God. Whereas normally I would have been falling asleep thinking about whatever I was writing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And so it's a very different activity, but because it's, like, the creative part of your brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, like, stealing power. Wow. Yeah, I would expect it the opposite because it, it, dancing is so It's a physical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But I also found that it was a creative thing that was, like... Mm-hmm. I can see that happening at a certain level. Like, I mean, I play piano, but I play so seldom and, uh, you know, at such a low level because I'm just, like, I don't do it seriously anymore. Mm. So I think now I'll, I'll just, like, sit down and play a Christmas carol or something, and that does not, it's not creative. Like, I mean, it's just, it's it's just sort of, like, it's like cooking a meal or something, yeah. levels of creativity. But I think if I was actually, like, okay, I want to learn how to play this Rachmaninoff piece really well, like, then it would be at a level where... Where see that happening. Yeah, I actually started thinking about it and stuff mm-hmm. instead of just messing around. Yeah, because well, I think of um, things that are creative that aren't writing that, that suck my batteries. It's like you know, building our like our D and D campaign, like building right. a story, yeah. Yeah. Uh, story yeah. building, yeah. right? Like yeah. like that sucks it. Yeah, but like I'll I'll paint minis for D and D, and that doesn't. Mm-hmm. But but it, it, I mean it's creative adjacent I think mm-hmm. it's paint by numbers essentially but right. but so it is very mechanical yeah uh, but to me dancing is very mechanical mm. not kizamba oh, okay I don't <laughs> even know what that is oh nice I get to talk about kizamba yeah yeah, yeah. Right. absolutely yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah this is we talk about whatever we want so kizamba is this uh, Angolan partner dance okay yeah okay. and it's been becoming really popular in like the past five years or so okay um, it's kind of like tango in that it's a walking dance, but it's like much cooler in my opinion and much more dynamic. Um, and so it's really popular in Portugal, um, where I was kind of exposed to it and also in France, cause there's a lot of migration from Angola and surrounding African countries to France and Portugal. And so um, it's kind of like caught on in Europe, mm. and it's also really popular in Montreal now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm actually going to Montreal tonight for a Kizamba thing. Oh, no so, way. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be nice. That's interesting. Yeah, wherever there's like a big African migrant population, it kind of like pops cool. up and becomes popular. Yeah, but it's a very... Um, it's a very like creative dance because there aren't set patterns um you know like in salsa for example Mm. you're always like listening for the same instrument you're staying on like the 
one, two, three, five, six, seven. Right. And yeah. that's always kind of in the back of your mind. Um, but with Kizamba, there's a lot of choice, whether you're dancing on like the drum or the vocals or whatever instrument you're picking out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so in like urban style Kizamba, um, the music is like really varied, but a lot of it is really like electronic heavy. Oh, interesting. And with a lot of interesting like sound effects and they're basically just these really layered songs and so you get to pick like what you're hearing what you want to be like expressing and what you're dancing on okay and so in that way I find that it's like really really creative because uh, it's not like you're just doing a set step yeah you're yeah, listening yeah. and you're interpreting and then you're expressing it right right and it sounds like it's never the same yeah yeah you're trying to like embody the music oh interesting yeah with your partner, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, I've been doing it for like a year and a half now. Okay. But it's totally like taken over my life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, so like because it, it, it sucks a little bit of that creative juice, do you have to be very careful about when, like how much you're doing it or when you're doing it? Um, or do you just fuck it? And... I just go for it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. I honestly enjoy it so much. Like, uh, I started out doing salsa, uh, but then as soon as I saw Kizamba, I was like, oh, I want to do that. Mm. Yeah. And I've kind of just been doing that ever since to the point where it's like, it's really hard for me to say, like, if I enjoy writing or if I enjoy Kizamba more. Ooh. Like, Kizamba might <laughs> be, oh, like, shit. edging it out. Yeah. And usually when I get really into something, it'll last for like a couple months. Yeah. I do this where it's like, I'm really into pool now. Oh, okay. Or like, I'm really into, I don't know, like darts, you know, like just these little physical things where it's like, I get really obsessed with it for a while Mm. and then I'll just move on to something else. Uh, But this is like the longest running obsession by far. So I think I might be stuck. Might might be a little stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Would you write if you didn't enjoy it? Mm. Like, at, like at this point in your... I mean, I really do enjoy writing still. Yeah, that is hypothetically. Yeah. And, but I have written things that I didn't enjoy writing. Oh, okay. Yeah, things that I just like had to get done. Right. And I mean, we all do that on a micro level where there's like yeah. a scene that has to sure. happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not enjoyable to actually write it, but you right. just have yeah, to yeah, get yeah. it done. Yeah, probably like the least enjoyable writing I've done recently has been for the the second novel of the trilogy because I found that a lot of that was kind of like grinding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or kind of taking things that I had tried to tie up in the first book and mm-hmm. then untying them, which did not feel good. Right, felt, right. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. felt like unsatisfying. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, yeah, that makes sense because it's like, Especially having, or sorry, what? Oh, this is a problem we solved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, I never intended to do this. Why am I doing this now? Yeah. Over right money. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I mean, I have enough, like, obligations that I would have to keep writing anyways. Right, fair enough. Yeah. But I hope I never lose that enjoyment of it. Yeah, I hear that. Mm-hmm. Like, I've spoken to other writers who say that, like, they, they, don't, they don't actually enjoy the craft of sitting down to write. I'm like, why the fuck would you do it? Yeah. There are people who say that. They say, like, I enjoy having written. Yeah. Or, like, heard, I yeah. enjoy being done. Yeah, and I can't, I can't, like, just because of how much work goes into yeah. a project. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't imagine, like, I can imagine, like you said, like, there are parts that you don't enjoy. Yeah. Like, like I don't, like, you know, I don't necessarily enjoy draft six of whatever, right? Like, it's like okay, this, why is this not done yet? Um, but, but I have to, you have to enjoy part of it, I would think. But that, that's just my bias that I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. 
I mean, I suppose I can see if it was a source of like wealth if it was your primary income. Right. Was writing and basically you you couldn't envision changing to another income stream. That mm-hmm. I, I guess I could say, yeah, I, I, I write because this is how, this is where the money comes from. Uh, even though I'm not that into it anymore, it sounds like a terrible fate. Yeah, because that's like, like I've said to people before, like say for teaching, which is my main source of income. If if I were to ever not want to come into work and teach, I better quit. Yeah, and and start looking at something else because I I wouldn't. I mean, admittedly, teaching is you know I'm there for nine hours a day or whatever. Like, so that's a little bit different. But I've never wanted my primary source of income to be something I don't enjoy. Yeah. yeah. But I think my favorite part of writing is in the process when you have one of those days where you just like sit down and you start and you just like lose time. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And then you look up and it's been like five hours and you're like starving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think those are the best moments when okay. you get that like flow state out mm. of writing. Mm. What's your favorite part of writing, Kate? Uh, yeah, it's part of the process. I think I I don't get flow state a lot. So, but for me, it's, it's like more granular. I think when it's just like one good sentence, like you write a sentence and you think, yeah, that's a good sentence. That is the sentence is doing what I want it to do. Um, you know, that makes me happy. Uh, or you just get something cool. Like something happens in your work that you're like, oh, that is really cool. Like yeah. the character or mm-hmm. the setting or just something. It seems like more than you put into it. Like it somehow grows into something that you actually enjoy. Mm. Um, I really like that. And I really like, uh, like some interactions with readers, um, like when you have someone who tells you that that they needed your book in some way, like mm. the, the, that it made a difference to them in some way, or that they've been waiting for a book like this or something like that. Like it, it's pretty rare, <laughs> at least in my limited experience. But yeah. um, like that uh, is really nice as well, and it kind of makes up for the other stuff that we were talking about earlier, like the star ratings and yeah. the, the trolls and all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's nice when you just actually connect with someone who who gets your work and, and appreciates it. Yeah. And sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's fun to write. It's, you know, we complain about it a lot, but we wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what we were talking about. It, like, if, if, you didn't in, if you didn't enjoy the process of writing, why would you do it? Basically? Yeah, like yeah. And I think, you know, the more you do it, too, the more you get comfortable with... Like, I had a day, I think it was yesterday, where I got, you know, I got a thousand words and, and there was no reason why it was not working. Like, the scene mm. should be working. Everything's fine. It's just, it was one of those days where every sentence I wrote was dull and it just, the vision was not coming onto the yeah. page. Yeah. And, but I just knew, like, I wasn't getting down about it because I just knew, like, sometimes you have those days and mm. tomorrow will be a better day. And, you know, um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't stress too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was, it might, it's either Neil Gaiman or Chuck Wendig because I paid attention to both of their, their Twitter feeds. And one of them was saying that, like, you, you have that day where you, where you write a thousand words, two thousand words, whatever, and you're like, this is all fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Why am I writing this? Yeah. And then you'll go back, like, and, and they said, you know, do it anyway, write the crap, knowing it's crap. I'm pretty sure it's Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. And then go back the next day, and you'll take a look at it and realize that, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. It was just my mindset. Mm-hmm. And so don't don't ever stop because you feel like you're, what you're producing is shit. Just get it out. And, yeah. And you might surprise yourself later. Yeah. Which seems like a very Neil Gaiman thing, sort of say. Yeah. To say. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's him who said that like when he goes back now and rereads books that he wrote ten years ago, like he can't tell the good days from the bad days. Yeah. You know, like it's all, you know, and and the great thing too is that you can always redo it. If it yeah. Sucks. Well, exactly. So, yeah. 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 It's yeah. just and uh, much easier because we're not a manual typewriters anymore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you just throw it out and start again. So yeah, exactly. it's. Um, 
Yeah, especially if you are a rewriter, then you just have to learn to do that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it can be really enjoyable, I think. Yeah, uh, it should be more upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's figure out a way to be more upbeat. <laughs> new year, new me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I see the ritual has been a success and the curse has been lifted. We had a wonderful time talking with our fellow survivors today, so thank you to Kate and Rich for joining us down here in our underground safe haven. And thank you as always to fellow survivor Chris Kesner for providing our intro and outro music, and thank you as well to all you survivors out there for joining us for our conversation today. If you like what you're hearing on Broadcasts from the Wasteland, we have a donation page set up on our website. Please check it out if you have a little bit of money to spare for whatever the hell this is. Stay safe, keep an eye out for crazy masks and weird rituals, and we'll look forward to reaching you again with our next broadcast from the Wasteland.